Well, haven't you been enjoying the ministry of Wesley Rouse? I'll tell you, I, I, I have appreciated him, and, and we're just getting started. He's going to be worn out, isn't he, when all is said and done. I, I'm so happy you're here tonight. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open up to the book of Habakkuk. Uh, probably a little bit before the world went crazy, uh, I was feeling led to spend some time in this minor prophet. I, I had started to preach from this little book when all of a sudden everything stopped. And in the middle of that, I began to realize how appropriate the message of Habakkuk is for us today. Do you understand the incredible privilege that we have in the Word of God? I hope you do. It's not a dead, dull book. It's living. It's active. It has something to say to us in our circumstance. And the amazing thing is, as I've looked throughout the Old Testament, looked throughout the New Testament, lived the life that I've lived, I've come to the conclusion that things don't change very much. Man's condition does not change. His need is the same. Man's circumstance really doesn't change all that much. Sure, we get different conveniences and things like that. But we find ourselves repeating different cycles that people have gone through. And through all that, we can find confidence in knowing that the solution does not change either. And so I want to invite you tonight, as we spend some time in this book, what we're going to do, if the Lord will allow, over the next uh, few days, I want to share a couple of things from Habakkuk, but I want to kind of get into the theme of the book tonight, because that will set the stage for everything else. So we'll just fly through until we get to that theme. Now, Habakkuk is an interesting little book. It's one of those books that it's possible to go your entire church life, perhaps, and never hear a sermon from, or sit in a Sunday school class, or a Bible study. It's so unique that we don't even know how to say his name. I'm saying Habakkuk. Some of you are, I'm saying Habakkuk. I had that in my mind. But some of you are cringing at me because you would say Habakkuk. And uh, Dr. Oswalt tells me that's probably the way that it needs to be said. But I'm going to say Habakkuk because nobody knows. Oh, I, I'm being serious. We, we don't know the origin of his name. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know his ancestry. Uh, there are a couple school of thoughts, I, 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 sure, but we truly don't. So I'm going to help you out tonight. If you're unsure of how to say it, say it however you choose. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, or I was in Indianapolis, and there was a Bible um, translator that would spend time overseas. He brought his, I don't know if it was from Nairobi or Kenya, but he brought that Bible the next night, and he showed me. In that African Bible, it was Habakkuk. <laughs> However you choose to say it, say it proudly because nobody can prove you wrong. Uh, Tim Keller would believe that it was an Akkadian loan word, an Akkadian name. And if it was an Akkadian name, it would mean something like plant or fruitful. Now, how would you like your mom and dad to call you plant or fruit? Uh, I mean, uh, plant or fruitful. If it's Hebrew, it's going to mean to embrace or in Habakkuk's circumstance, perhaps better stated, to embrace God's will in the midst of struggle. We simply don't know because we don't know a lot about this guy. All we know when we begin right off the start at chapter 1 that he is struggling. It's not hidden. And ultimately, as we're invited to struggle with him, we find the solution that he comes to. Now, he's not only unique in those ways, but he's unique in his role as a prophet as well. You remember, you know, you're good people that the role of the prophet or the prophetess is typically to stand before God's people and serve as his mouthpiece to thunder, thus saith the Lord, and usually the message is something like this. You need to straighten up and fly right. You know you're not doing what the Lord would have you to do. You're not living in the way that you would have him to live. You need to come back to his ways. That's typically the role the prophet or the prophetess would serve. But it seems as though that Habakkuk has reversed that. Because instead of going to Judah on behalf of God, it seems that he goes to God on behalf of Judah. 
Really, the visual image that comes to mind, and perhaps some of you won't like this, but it's, it's true nonetheless, is, is, is Habakkuk walks into the presence of God. He points his prophet's finger in God's face, and he says, God, you need to straighten up and fly right. You're not living up to your end of the bargains. You're not delivering your promise, salvation, all these things. He, he walks right in, and he wrestles with God. It's so strong, in fact that um, H. Ray Dunning, a Nazarene theologian, would say that Habakkuk is the doubting Thomas of the Old Testament. No, I'm not so sure I would go that, that far, but I would say that he is one of those few individuals, male or female, that we meet who are brave enough or perhaps even bold enough to wrestle or argue with God. Because that's really what we see. The wrestling match begins at the beginning of chapter 1, and it carries all the way through to somewhere in the middle of chapter 2, and things begin to change. He's real. He's raw. I believe this is some of the most raw passages of Scripture that we have. He's extremely honest. Maybe you don't like the idea of wrestling with God, and so let me just kind of change that image for a moment. Uh, because I know that there are people who feel as though if something is, is causing dissonance in their life that they should not share that with God. I don't understand that. They walk around as though they're keeping secrets, but you do realize that if something is happening in your mind, if something is happening in your heart, He already knows. Remember, He's the knower of those things, of man's thoughts and of man's heart. And if nothing else, maybe the most spiritual direction I can give you tonight is you should come and pour your heart, your soul out at His feet because you will find that He will meet you there and He can take it. How many of you know that God can take it when you struggle? Oh, I, that this, I hope that more of you believe that than showed that just then. He can handle it. And if nothing else, you will be lighter when you get up from that place. I can't say your circumstance will change, but something will change within here when you are reminded the one in whom you serve. It's a really an incredible picture. His frustration shows through his honesty. And yet in the midst of his struggle, he never once gives the hint that he's ready to throw in the towel. I mean, not one time do you see an image where he's willing to turn around and walk away from this God that he knows. Really, it's quite the opposite. You can sense his heart. It's almost as he's saying to God, God, I wouldn't be upset if I didn't know who you were, if I didn't know you were holy. I wouldn't be upset if I could just walk away from you. I wouldn't be upset if I could just, but if I can't figure out life with you, God then how would I ever figure it out alone? That's really the heart of the man. And you know, let me just say this. I don't like cliche because I think too many of us speak the cliche. We get caught there, but we never experience the reality of what we're saying. I've heard my whole life people say things like this. I mentioned the other day, my papa was a pastor. I, I come from a long line of pastors. I, I come, and I've heard people always say, when they watch people who are struggling with issues in their life, dealing with, have you guys found out that life isn't easy? It's not even always fun. But God is always good. And, and when they would see people struggling with things, they'd say something like, I, I don't know how people can make it without the Lord in their life. And I used to think, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the churchy thing to say. But now that I'm an old man, officially 48 years old, now, now that I'm an old man, I have lived enough life that I can honestly say, I don't know how people make it. I don't know how people made it through last year without his presence walking with them. And that's the heart in an Old Testament context of Habakkuk. God, I wouldn't be upset if I could just walk away, but I can't. If I can't figure out with you, then I wouldn't dare try to figure it out alone. So a conversation occurs. And in that conversation, we see that Habakkuk is frustrated. 
What does he do? How many of you have ever been frustrated? Some of you are too holy for even that. And you're not fooling anybody. I can tell by the way you're looking at me, you're frustrated with me tonight. You know, all this sort of stuff. It's, 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 what do you do in your frustration? It's probably the same thing that Habakkuk does. He complains. And it's in his complaint that we see the source of that frustration. It's because of what he sees. See, this is what has happened. God's man has taken his eyes off of God. He's taken his eyes off of God's promises and he's begun to examine, look around at the world that he's living in. Not only those outside of the people of God, but the people of God as well. And he sees the evil that they're involved in. He sees all the things that seemingly seem to be spinning out of control. And we watch him as he begins to have difficulty reconciling what he sees with what he believes. So he begins to ask questions. This should be encouraging to all of us that's common to all mankind. These questions did not originate with Habakkuk and they haven't ended with Habakkuk either. He begins to say things like this. Why do righteous people suffer? Why do the wicked seem to prosper and march on unrestrained? And why, God, would you allow these things to happen? Where are you, God? in the midst of the ugliness of the world in which I'm living. Have you ever heard questions like that before? If you haven't, you haven't read God's word. If you haven't, you haven't lived very long. People all throughout the Old and New Testament have questioned that. People all throughout history have questioned it, and it's the same thing that he questions as well. So we have the conversation beginning in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and I'm just going to summarize it for you. He goes before God and he says, God, why have you put me in a position where all I can see is evil? I, I look around at the injustice that's occurring, evil on every hand, the sorrow that it brought and the grief that occurs because of it. God, there's no other way to say this. These are simply evil times and I have been doing what you have called me to do. I have been crying out to you. I have been talking to you. But why aren't you listening? Have you abandoned us? Why are you absent? Don't you care? There it is. Don't you care about your people in these evil times? That's the heart of his struggle. He can't make sense of it all. And so he pours it out at God's feet. And see, I mentioned before that it's all right to take your struggle to God. But if you are going to faithfully wrestle with God, there comes the point in time. You pour it out at his feet. Yes, do that. But there comes the point in time that you have to hush and listen to what he says. You say, well, why, what if he doesn't say anything to me? He will. How do I know? Because he has spoken. The Hebrew writer tells us that right at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 1. He reminds the readers that in times past, or in other words, in the first stage of Revelation, God spoke bit by bit, piece by piece, through various means, through many different angles, through a group of men and women known as the prophets, of which Habakkuk is one. But, he says, signifying that that age comes to a close, that stage of Revelation is done. In these last days, so we enter into the second stage of Revelation, by the way, you do understand those are the days in which we're living. Those are the days in which we've been ever since Jesus came. In these last days, God has spoken to us by Son. Well, who is the Son? You remember in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. So if you want to know the Son, if you want to know what He has said... You have to approach him through the written word of God because it's through the written word of God that you encounter the living word. And when you spend time with the living word through the written word, you realize the resurrected word's power within your life. Don't come to me and say God is not speaking if you're not spending time with him in the book. 
It's an incredible thing. I meet people all the time. I go to some places, and there are some of those super spiritual people there. Have you ever run across super spiritual people? They make me really nervous. Oh, Brother Billy. Places call me that from time to time. Brother Billy, do you have a new word from the Lord? That really bothers me. It does. I'm just not that spiritual. And I have to answer them. I have to say, no. And I'll help you out here. No one else does either. Everything that is needed has been spoken. We see it in the sun. There is nothing more. Now he is coming again. But everything that's needed has been provided. So there comes the point in time that you need to hear his voice. And we watch that that time comes. Habakkuk pulls out his heart. And now God responds in verses 5 through 11. And let me just say this. If you're going to struggle, if you're going to get real with God, you need to be ready for what he's going to say. Because the response might not be the response that you were looking for. He comes before Habakkuk and he says, Oh, Habakkuk. Is that in your text there? I wish it were. I really want to hear God say, Oh, Dr. Cockrell. Oh, I just wish Because I hear him say, Oh, Billy, all the time. You don't care. I'd rather hear him say it about somebody else. He says, Oh, Habakkuk, I am moving. I'm not absent. I haven't left. I'm at work. In fact, I'm doing something so incredible in your day that if I were to tell you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. Let me read this verse for you. It's really powerful. It's verse 5 of chapter 1. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work. I am working a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. Habakkuk, I haven't left. I've heard every cry you've made, and whether you realize it or not, I'm moving. It's so great that if you were to know what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. And then do you know what God does? We're not going to spend any time here. But God, see, this is the kind of God we have. He said, you wouldn't believe what I was doing if I were to tell you. And then he goes on to tell him what he's doing. It's really an incredible image, verses 5 through 11. And then Habakkuk is going to complain some more more in verses 12 through 21. And this is funny to me. It won't be funny to you. I already know that. But but it's funny because God has come to Habakkuk and said, I'm doing something so great that if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. And then he tells Habakkuk what he's doing. And you know what Habakkuk says? I don't believe it. I like the courtesy laugh or sympathy laughs, whatever it is. I don't believe it. Why would you do something like that? Why would you use evil to judge your people? I don't understand. So God responds again in chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, and it's in this section that we find the theme of the book. It's verse 4, the latter half, verse 4, part B, where God, in the midst of Habakkuk's frustration, in the midst of his confusion, With everything that's going on, this is what God says to his man. But the just shall live by his faith. So I want you to see the image. He's been struggling for a long time. We know that because of verse 1. This is the burden that he's been carrying. And finally he reaches that boiling point. God, where are you? God knows what he needs. And in the midst of it all, he says, Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith. It's powerful. You want to know why it's powerful? Because if you've never spent any time with Habakkuk, You've still heard this verse. I I know that because it's repeated some three times throughout our New Testament. And you realize the, the mere repetition of this verse tells us that this is something. Whenever you run across repetition in the Word of God, this is something that the Spirit wants us to pay attention to. We need to sit up and we need to listen to what the Spirit is saying. And he says, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1 verse 17, Paul writes to the Roman church, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
And then again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, to the church in Galatia, he says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And then the Hebrew author, and some people would say that would be Paul, but some people would likely be wrong. Ooh. Say amen, Dr. Cockroach, help me out or something. <laughs> you know, the Hebrew writer states, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So why does this matter to a psyker crowd on the first Sunday night? Because when we read these verses, when we are able to encounter the living word through this word, when we're able to struggle with Habakkuk through the struggle that he's experiencing, it helps us to answer the question, how do we as God's people live during frustrated times? Because you do realize that we are going to be frustrated. Whether you raised your hand or not, we're going to be, if anybody made it through um, 2020, Without being frustrated, you're weird. We're going to be frustrated, but not just because of those things, but because as his children, we are citizens of a different kingdom. You'll remember that we are in this world, but not of it. You'll recall that we are described as aliens and strangers in this land. The kingdom has come and we're living it here on earth, but it's a kingdom that's also coming. And because we are in a kingdom that has come, but is coming at the same time, and it's counter to the kingdom that we live in here. See, we often hear things like this, and I'm tired of it, frankly. God's kingdom is upside down. No, it's not. I, I've stopped saying that. God's kingdom is not upside down. The world is upside down. God's kingdom is right side up. But because we are here, we will have struggle. Our kingdom, the king, the leader of our kingdom says that if you are going to be great, then you've got to become a servant. If you want to be first, then you've got to be last. That's foreign to the culture in which we live. If you don't believe me, go to wherever you go and look around at those motivational posters on the wall. You will not find one that ever says, be last. It's not the way it teaches. It's not it. We are in his kingdom now, but we are living for a kingdom that will be the kingdom that is coming. And I won't take a lot of time here, but you do realize that kingdom that is coming when that day comes, there'll be no need for doctors and hospitals. No, I'm thankful. My mom has gone through a long, went through a long health journey. And I'm thankful for good hospitals and doctors. Um, but one day we won't need them. Aren't you thankful for that? It's a kingdom where there'll be no need for first responders. I hate that I can say something like that and we've become so accustomed to the nonsense that goes on around us. Every time you turn on television or anything like that, you see some senseless tragedy going on. And you watch as people are running away, other people are running too. And I'm thankful for those men and women. I really am, but one day they'll not be needed. Aren't you looking forward to that day? The kingdom that we're living for, that we're waiting for coming, there will be a kingdom when there'll be no more goodbye said. Oh, won't that be wonderful? I watched that video last night, and I saw grace. Grace uh, is, was so special to me over the years. I met her in 2004, and she's been getting on to me ever since. Straightened me out. If you think I'd get on your nerves, she'd straighten me out. I'd hear her clear her throat, and I know I needed just to move on. And I had to say goodbye to her, my own mother. I'm a mama's boy. If you want to judge me, you judge me. But April 9th, I, I, I preached my mother's funeral. I am so tired of saying goodbye. It's really not goodbye because both those that I mentioned, they're not lost. I know where they are. It's see you later. It's farewell for now. But well, see, on this side of the river, it's going to be that. But when we get over there, no more goodbyes will be spoken. While we're here, our hearts will break. But over there, 
They'll be mended back together again. Families will divide on this side of the river, but over there, it will be an everlasting reunion. Aren't you looking forward to the day when his kingdom fully comes and we are able to live in a place where justice reigns, where love is the rule, but you realize we're not there. We are in a fallen world, and since we are in a fallen world, we will be frustrated. So we must answer the question, how do we, as citizens of that kingdom, as his men and women, as God's children, how are we to live in frustrated times? And the answer resounds through Scripture, the just shall live by his faith. Faith. But there's a problem, and I'm just going to get real. I I can't be anything that I'm not. It's a problem in my life. Maybe it doesn't apply to you. If it doesn't, you don't have to wear the shoes. I think it probably does, but you you, you say whatever you want. But in my life, I found that there was this natural tension, natural tension between faith and doubt. I really do. And and if you've not... Heard me say it at all this week. I want you to make sure to. I want to make sure you understand where I, I'm coming from. I believe the word of God to be true, from the beginning all the way to the end. I actually believe that there was a garden called Eden. I don't think it's analogy. I, I, I think there actually was a garden designed and planted by God, and a man named Adam that he formed in his image and filled with his spirit for a relationship with him, and eventually a helpmate called Eve came along. I believe that happened. And because of an act of disobedience, because of an act of sin, separation of an intended relationship between creator and creation occurred, and man was sent down a path that they were never intended to go down. I actually believe it was so. I believe that there was a man named Jonah who spent some time in the belly of a big fish. And I said big fish. Some people will say, he said, well, it doesn't say well, but what's a big fish? It's a whale. But anyhow, you, you, you know, I believe, I believe there was a man named Noah that built an ark because it was going to rain. What was rain? They didn't know, but it was going to rain. And so Noah built an ark. And if you don't believe that, come home with me. It's in my backyard in northern Kentucky. <laughs> Noah parked his ark there. It's ironic that it had water damage, but anyhow, I'm a, I believe every promise that he has made, he will keep. I do. But I am obsessive compulsive. Not just saying it. I had a conversation with someone last night. I was diagnosed at the age of seven. I was heavily medicated up till around the uh, the year 2010. God has helped me in that. But being obsessive compulsive, I'm analytical. That's why I said the other morning, if you were in here, I get on my own nerves, so I expect to get on yours. I'm comfortable with it. It's natural. It's going to happen. It doesn't bother me at all. But because I'm analytical and because I'm obsessed, things get in my head and I can't get rid of them. Sleep does not come easily. I can be in a gathering like this and someone can say something to me not meaning anything. And I do life alone and so I don't have anyone to talk it through with. And so I go to my room and I lay there and this hasn't happened this week. But other places, you know, I'm talking about everybody else. You're good people. They're not. But anyhow, you know, I lay there and I wonder what did they mean by that? I was at a church when COVID uh, began to loosen up or we began to loosen COVID restrictions and people say they gained the COVID-19. I gained the COVID-25. My clothes don't fit well. And so I was standing there by my product table in the church, and someone walked by me and patted me on the belly as if I didn't know it was sticking out further than it had. Let me help you. Don't touch me. Anyhow, you know, I'm sitting in a service like this, and someone's looking at me, and it, not you. But why are you looking at me like? (laughs) I get things in my head. And sometimes what I see interferes with what I believe in here. I know what he has promised. I know what he has said. But everything I see contradicts that. 
See, I believe I'm not the only one like that. I believe you could probably agree with that, and many of you would. We want to believe, but just like Habakkuk, Everything that's going on contradicts what he has said. We see the injustice that's going on, the pain that's caused by those things, the brokenness and the war, and it's hard for us to reconcile this kingdom that is coming. But God says that the just shall live by faith. So in order to answer the question we previously asked, we have to come to a definition. What is faith? Or maybe better stated, where does that faith begin? What is the foundation of the belief? faith. We have to, under, if we are to live by faith, we've got to know. And I realize I, I'm always hesitant in a crowd like this to even ask a question like that because you've been to Sunday school, haven't you? You've had the badges. You didn't miss in 40-something years. I, I, I mean, and you've got the Sunday school answers, but let me just be frank. I'm not interested in Sunday school answers. I want to know what faith looks like when it's walking down the roads of Cincinnati, Ohio. I want to know what faith is when I'm out in the middle of Iowa and my mom is dying in a hospital. I want to know what faith is when the world is spinning, when we're told we're going to shut down for 14 days and it turns into 10 or 11 or 12 months. I want to know what, it, and, and, but anyway, you, you, there are many answers. You, you can look it up in the dictionary. In fact, I believe one of the greatest tools we have at our disposal, one of the greatest tools I use in my own preparation is the dictionary. I, I love words. The older I get, the more I love them because I found out the words actually say something. And when we're trying to say something, we ought to choose our words carefully. Many of us don't do that, uh, but words mean, they, they, they have meaning. And so I grabbed my dictionary. Now, I don't have one on the shelf anymore. I'm with it. I've got an app on my phone. So I, I hit that. And it came up. There's this big, long list of definitions. But the one that fits our circumstance, our context, is that faith defined as complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And since our context is Christian, we can change it. We can say, Faith for the believer is complete trust or confidence in God. We know that's who he is. But what is that? I mean, that's a wonderful definition, but, but what does that mean in the everyday living? And so different people have tried to help over the years. Corey Tinboom. How many of you recognize that name? I mean, she's the lady that um, Jewish concentration camps, all those sorts of things. She made this uh, acrostic of faith, and I would never want to say anything to, to, to take away from anything that she's done. She's far more of a Christian woman than I will ever be. All that, I, I mean, better, and it's 2021, let me correct something. I, I will never be a Christian woman. I should have stopped at Christian. But you have to explain those things nowadays. Rumors begin. But anyhow, you, 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 you know, but, but I had this bookmarked when I started going to the church, the Nazarene, that my youth leader gave me, it was the acrostic, it said, faith, spelled down, is a fantastic adventure in trusting him. Let me show you guys. Faith is a fantastic adventure in trusting him. And that's nice and all, but I want to say, Corey, honey, your, faith, your, your adventure doesn't seem too fantastic. Thanking God for fleas and haze? Hey, I'm a city boy, whatever it's called. Come on. Don't stare at me like that. The woman went through all those things. A fantastic, okay. And then, of course, our, our really our, our authority should be Scripture. And the Hebrew author, just one verse after the verse we read, there's a verse in between. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that is a beautiful verse, but will you exegete it for me? I mean, we can have coffee and you can tell me exactly what it means, but I mean, I need something deep. I need to know. So what is faith? What does faith look like in my life? Where does it begin for the believer? So I have been working on a working definition. I've been developing a working definition uh, really since we've shut down. 
And I'm going to offer it to you. You don't have to take it. I'm going to give you permission. If you don't like it, leave it on the seat. Whoever cleans up the tabernacle can put it in the trash. You don't have to carry it home. But I'm going to offer it to you because it's done me good, and I think it might do you some good as well. Faith for the child of God, that's our context, is believing what God has said. Well, how do we know what God has said? I've already said it. It's written in his word. So let's just change it a little bit. Faith is believing what we read in God's word before or until we see it happening in our circumstance. I'm going to say that again. Because whether you like it or not, I believe it's good. Faith. The foundation. Faith is believing what God has said. Believing what is written in his word before or until. Now hear me. I'm not saying if. If man speaks words over you, that may never be. If you hear words of faith on television, it may never be. But if it's recorded in his word, you can take it to the bank. It will be before or until we see it happening in our circumstance. So obviously, if we are going to be men and women who live by faith, in a world that's upside down and spinning out of control, we must know what God has said. And tragically, in a day where we have more conveniences than any other time, in a day where we have more technology than any other generation has ever known, more education, we're so educated, we can't stand ourselves. You don't even have to be able to read today. And I don't say that disrespectfully. I have family members who cannot read. But most of you carry a thing called a phone. Many are called a smartphone. It can read to you. That technology is there. In a day when we have all those things, we have become some of the most biblically illiterate people that have ever walked the earth. We've settled for a verse on the screen on Sunday morning and felt as though we've served our time. We open up a book of regurgitated things, what God has done in someone else's life, and we count that as spending time with him. I'm not against books. In fact, I've got a couple. But anyhow, I'm not against those things. But make his word your first book. I don't know how to express to you you want to blame the way the church is going in the world and how the world is spinning out of control? We are reaping what we have sown. We, are, we need to become men and women of one book again because that way we can stand when the world is falling around us. We have to be biblically illiterate. Let me ask you this. I don't typically do it, but I want to make sure you're engaging with me. How much time do you spend in God's word? No, I don't have to stay there long because you know the answer to that. I don't have to convince you of how much time you do or do not spend with him. You already know. We know what he has said. And then we as his people, the reason we must know is that's where we operate. In other words, if it's not in his word, we don't need it. If it's not according to his world, and it doesn't line up with scripture, it doesn't have anything for us. Why? Because we believe what he has said. That's why we sing songs that are unbiblical. We'll stand and sing and lift our hands and it not even be biblical. I was at a Christian university a while back. Popular song, began to sing. The praise team was going. I'm sitting by the president of the university and all of a sudden, kids that were asleep, they jumped up because you know Caleb plays it. And because Caleb plays it, it must be biblical. They jump up and start singing the song. And you can't reconcile language, folks. 
the song is not biblical. And all those kids are worshiping God. And I leaned over to the president. I said, if I were the president of a Christian university, I probably wouldn't let my kids sing unbiblical songs. I've not been invited back. I blame it on COVID. Folks, hear my heart. I'm not saying this lightly. This is who we are. You want to know why there's so much confusion in the so-called body? We've gotten away from this. Because as people of faith, as people of his kingdom, we believe what he has said. We don't play loosely with that. It's what he has said, and then we operate there. Well, why would you develop a definition like that? Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing... And hearing by the word of God. And there are all kinds of proof texts that I could pull out and show you that, but I don't need to. You know that I'm telling you the truth and you're hot. But anyhow, if you don't like the word, you remember this is the foundation of which we're built as Protestants. You remember the Protestant, the Reformation, started by a guy named Martin Luther, that when you first meet him, if you've ever read anything about him, he was going nuts. He was literally losing his mind until he got in the word of God for himself and he came to the realization that we are saved by grace through faith. But how did he come to that realization? By getting in the word. Well, if you don't like those, you taught me this when I was a child. I would go to Sunday school. I would go to children's church. I'd go to vacation Bible school. And even still today from time to time, you have me sing this. Jesus loves me. This I know for the... Faith for the believer, for the child of God, is believing what God has said through his written word before or until we see it happening in this world. And, and Camp Syker and the churches which are represented here, we're part of a larger holiness movement that believe in a full salvation. Not just an initial work of salvation. We believe that God completes the work in entire sanctification. That we're not only freed from the penalty of sin, but we're freed from sin. And we believe that to be true, entire sanctification. And if you believe that, remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. He's he's facing the cross. He's praying for his believers. He's praying for us today. And this is what he says to the Father. He says, sanctify them by your truth. But then he doesn't stop. He goes on. Listen to what he says. He says, your word is truth. If you can't spend time with him, I don't care how tight you twist your bun, don't tell me you're holy. Don't claim to be sanctified even if you can't breathe because your shirt is buttoned all the way up if you're not spending time daily with him. And then if you are, it's going to be evidence in your life because you'll come off your soapbox and you'll bleed and die for a world that's going to hell around you just as Jesus bled and died. If he is living through you, then that will be the natural flow. The just shall live by faith. Faith is believing his word until it happens. So, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Many people will jump there, perhaps. The opposite of faith, of course, is sight. Because doubt arises from what we see. When we take our eyes off of what we know, it's the story repeated over and over and over and over throughout God's children's story, throughout his word, throughout time. When we take our eyes off of him and look at people, we begin to doubt. 
It comes from what we see. Doubt comes from what we listen to. You want to know why you're so negative? Because you listen to the news all the time. Come on. I came to the sad realization that Christian folks are better Democrats or Republicans than they are Christian. If you don't believe me, look at your Facebook. There ought to be a difference in the way that we conduct ourselves, and there's very little. I don't care which side you're on. You might have to preach the rest of the week. I'm sure you can handle it. Doubt arises when we look at the wrong things, when we listen to the wrong voices. And God has said that the just shall live by faith. So here's the good news. Every sermon has good news. The good news that I've brought to you tonight, Sunday night, opening Psyker Sunday night, is faith is for frustrated times. Faith are for years just like 2020. Faith is for 2021 and belong. Whatever your experience whatever you're going through wherever you're living you can make it how by believing what God has said you're not hearing me you can make it how by believing what God has said before or until we experience it ourselves. we got to get a hold of that because faith always leads to praise. And I, I'm convinced that that's why most of us never truly worship. Where, well, why would you bring that up? Because of the structure of Habakkuk. He begins out pointing his finger in God's face. You need to straighten up and fly right. And then somewhere around the middle of chapter 2, there's a change that begins to occur. And by the time you come to the close of chapter 2, the announcement is being made. God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And then when you enter into chapter 3, do you know what he's doing? Yeah, he's praying, but do you know what he's doing? He's worshiping, but how's he doing it? He's singing. How do we know? Because he gives instructions to the instrumentalists. And here's the amazing thing. Nothing's changed. The circumstance isn't any different. What God said was going to happen is still going to happen. And in fact, it does. And God's people are scattered. But because of that, we're here tonight. It's an incredible picture. Because when you stand on him, you can sing despite what's go- going on in your world. So let me ask you this, and I'm done. Thank you for being patient with me. How's your faith? That, that's a weird way to ask it. So, so let me just change that a little bit. Let me ask you like this. What's the source of your faith? You know, I, I mean, is it his word? Is it some author? Is it Fox News? Is it? Are you in his word daily? No one's that busy. Are you in his word? You'll give your time for what really matters. Are you in his word daily? Are you able to sing despite your circumstance? can't believe they shut us down. Well, you can come back if you wear a mask. I'm not going to wear a mask. You've got a bigger problem than a mask, don't you? Or are you too focused on everything else that's going on around you that you've lost your song? The just shall live by his faith. Eliza Edmund Hewitt penned these words. We sang them tonight. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. My wounds for me 
his wounds for me shall plead. My heart is leaning on the word. The written, and I know the screen said living. You heard him sing written. It's what, how she composed it. The written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. But how did she have that confidence? My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. When you lean on his word, you can stand in a fallen world. So Jesus tonight... Help us to hear what you're speaking to us. We've taken your word too lightly, and because of that, we've been carried away by every stream of fanaticism that goes by, every wave of emotionalism that washes over. We're carried away. Bring us back to where we need to be, grounded in you, grounded in your truth, and give us the confidence, the boldness, that comes with that kind of living. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. They have been very patient with me tonight. I believe as you're speaking to me, you're speaking to them. So in these closing moments, help us to respond to your voice, knowing in that response, we'll be blessed by your presence, we'll be changed into the men and women that you long for us to be. I invite you, please, to stand to your feet if you're able all over the tabernacle. I've said it every service. I'll say it again. When the word of God is spoken, it demands a response. I sleep well at night because I know all of you are going to respond. I'm not concerned about altars being light. You are going to respond. You'll either take to heart to what he's saying or you'll walk away from it. I just want to invite you. There are altars here, and I'm thankful for the altar. I'm thankful for a place, as the old timers would say, that we could come and drive a stake. And that way, when the enemy comes back, we can say, you know what? You've got nothing on me because I remember Sunday night, Psyker Camp, I settled it. I drove it deep. So just get behind me. In fact, just get out of here in the name of Jesus. You know he has to flee when you say that. Some of you give him too much credit. There are altars here. As we sing, if you want to respond by kneeling at an altar, I hope you will. You do what the Lord would have you to do.